Right, and we are back with another edition of the Jazz Nation podcast. My name is Daniel. I am the admin of those Jazz Nation pages that you are following online through Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and maybe, and possibly one day, if the rumors become true, who knows if it'll happen, it could happen, a YouTube channel. But you can find the links for all our pages in one simple spot. Just go to linktree.com forward slash Jazz Nation News. And with me, like always, we call him the assistant to the host. His name is... Wo- oh. Oh, that's right. Actually, I don't have an assistant to the host on this week's episode. He couldn't make it in, so I'm flying solo on this episode. But that's okay, because I actually have an interview. So I won't be talking all by myself this whole podcast. I am interviewing Evan Damerall. Evan is the, uh, well, he's got a couple, his hands in a couple different things, but mostly dealing with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He uh, helps with the Fear the Sword, which is the Cavs SB Nation page. So for us Jazz fans, imagine SLC Dunk, but for the Cavs. That's what that is. He also helps podcasts for David Locke's network, the Locked On podcast. He's on the Locked On Cavs. And, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd bring him on this week since, you know, that whole trade went down. He'd be a good person to give us some insight on those three new players that we have coming our way via the trade. I also speak with Evan and give him some insights on Donovan Mitchell. And then, of course, I had to ask Evan his opinion on the new Utah Jazz jerseys. So stick around for that interview. And uh, you're going to learn. It's a great interview. You're going to learn a lot about our new players not just on the court, but off the court. So a lot of great information on that. So uh, without any more uh, blabbering on here from me, let's get into that interview. Hope you enjoy it. This is where a sponsor would go. If you are said sponsor that's interested in sponsoring this podcast, reach out to us at jazznationnews at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. Thanks for checking in here with us. We are now here with our interviewee. Mr. Evan Damarell, is am I saying that correct last name? You are. It's a, a plus. Not many people get that right at all. So good job. Sweet. Uh, so per his Twitter bio, Evan's with us because he is an expert with Fear the Sword, which is the Cavs SB Nation, and then also a member of the Locked On Cavs team. Um, anything else that I'm not mentioning that you also do by chance that makes you a Cavs expert? I mean, experts. That, that that's that's nice. Uh, voice of the Utah Jazz, David Law calls us his experts all the time on the network. So it always makes me chuckle when he calls me that too. But I uh, I do run my own bulletin page, which is Facebook's version of Substack. Um, it's called Write Down Euclid. I cover all things Cleveland sports, but the Cavs are my main wheelhouse. And yeah, Media Day is as of recording this in less than 20 days. So it's going to be heating up quick, especially with Donovan Mitchell in town. They had to change locations because it might be a bigger event this time around. Well, we'll, we'll get to that guy and all he brings to your team. Now you lucky son of a gun uh, here in a moment, but before we get into all that, we like to ask some questions here just to help our listeners get to know you a little better. Um, so just once you hear the question, just say your answer as quickly as you can try not to overthink it here. Um, so our first question is, what is your favorite fast food restaurant or place to go to? Um, Wendy's. Nice. Next question. All-time favorite band or artist or maybe your top three? 
Oh, that's a tough question. I'll do top three. Frank Ocean, Tyler, the creator and Phoebe Bridgers with an honorable mention to Pink Floyd. All right. Next one. What is the last concert you went to? Oh, uh, Phoebe Bridgers last year at, uh, in downtown Cleveland. Nice. Next. What is your all time favorite movie? Gosh, there's another hard question. Hmm. 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 Probably Shaun of the Dead. It's uh, my guilty pleasure movie, but it's a movie that I never get tired of watching. And going along with that, what was the last movie you saw that you actually enjoyed? Well, we're doing a Lord of the Rings rewatch in my house, so I watched Return of the King, so I love that movie. So we'll go with that answer. All right, nice. Next question. What is your current favorite TV show or something you're binge-watching? Uh, what we do in the shadows, uh, take a sitcom version of the hit movie that he made many moons ago. Uh, I just wrapped it up today. Sweet. And our final question, who are your all time favorite top five Cavalier players? Ooh, great question. So Zadrunas Ogalskis is on the list. I, obviously LeBron is too. I want to say that. Probably Sean Livingston during his time here because he just made it so fun for that Cavs unit. And then Darius Garland and Jared Allen. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed that Price didn't make the list, but that's fine. I guess it is what it is. I'm old, but Price isn't a part of my lifetime quite (laughs) yet. So I I wish I could have seen him, but I'm not not that old. I don't age myself too much here. All right. No, good. All right. Well, let's move to what probably everyone wants to hear about, and that's talking calves and jazz here so for those that maybe have been off social media or news for the past week or so the utah jazz have traded donovan mitchell to the cleveland cavaliers that's right not the new york knicks like we all thought in exchange for Lori marketing colin sexton now i want to make sure i say this name right because i'm sure everyone in cleveland's got this right ochi agabu how do you say the last name it's ochi abaji Ochi Abaji. Okay. And then, of course, the things of we definitely wanted here in Utah, that would be three first-round picks, unprotected, and then two pick swaps. Um, okay, my first question to you is, as a Cleveland fan and Cleveland reporter, mm-hmm. when you heard this news become official, the Woj official bomb, did you, like, how fast did you just start fumbling around and not believe it at first? What was your reaction? So to be honest, I was off work that day. Um, I was trying to take some time before basketball season kicked back off. Um, went golfing with my dad and was grabbing lunch with uh, him and my mom after the fact. And I pull into the restaurant and I see the Woj bomb. And I'm just like, oh boy. So then I had to ask around uh, some Cavs folks, some folks att- attached to some of the players heading to Utah, et cetera, and so on. Just to kind of confirm the details and piece it together, maybe what, what it was, because Woj didn't share what exactly came with that trade. But at that point, I walk in, I ask the waitress, I'm like, hey, do you guys have Wi-Fi? She's like, no, we don't. I'm like, crap. So I had to tell my parents, hey, I'm going to literally dash, not even dine with you guys. And my initial reaction was, is I was I was shocked, I think. I think shocked is a good way to put it. Um, based on the reporting now, we kind of see how the Knicks really... Uh, really, really messed around a little bit, trying to just assume they were the only team that was in the running for Donovan Mitchell services. And the Cavs kind of were a team, at least when I first reached out and just kind of asked around about it, it was just cursory. I mean, I think it'd be remiss of any team not to reach out when a three-time all-star and a guy who is still in his mid-20s at this point is a, becomes available. You got to see what the price is. And I was given the impression the Cavs just weren't going to be able to outbid the Knicks because the Knicks had 
before they extended RJ Barrett, they had RJ Barrett, they had a plethora of picks, they had Quentin Grimes, they mean Obi Top, and they have so much they could offer for Donovan Mitchell if they really wanted to do it. But I think the Cavs, now that I've had a little settle a little bit, I, I think they're in a really good spot going forward. And I think some fans will say, oh, Cleveland gave up way too much for Donovan Mitchell. And I think that's fair. I think there's going to be some fair questions on both sides of things. But I maintain a stance now that if you believe in your heart of hearts, you can maximize the potential of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. And Donovan Mitchell's the guy who does that for you. It'd be so foolish of you not to take advantage of the opportunity. Because like I said, guys in that vein and in that acumen of Mitchell's archetype and skill set as a player don't become available that regularly and you kind of have to capitalize on those opportunities when they arise because you can't just sit around wishing that it will happen one day so i have to be honest with you you started saying something and you started scaring me because for the last few months or so i've been dealing with a lot of knicks fans and god bless those knicks fans but they are a little delusional in the fact that they didn't really want to give up anything to get donovan mitchell and every time i talk with them they couldn't quite comprehend that in order to get a player like Donovan, a multi-time all-star, a, I mean, I could go down the list of all his things, all, all mm-hmm. he's done, and they just couldn't comprehend that in order to get a player like that, you do need to give up some things. And yeah, it's going to seem like a lot of things, but you got to remember, if you're trying to win now, which it sounded like they wanted to, then you got to give up the stuff. So I'm glad that there toward the end, you kind of realized that, yeah, you got to kind of, I'm not, you didn't give up everything, but you had to give up maybe a little bit, one more pick than you would have liked, but now mm-hmm. I ha- I got to admit from the from a Jazz fan's point of view for me at least I look at Cleveland on a whole nother level now and it sounds like from a lot of like the podcasts that I've been listening to that a lot of the national media agrees with that you a Cavs fan and reporter there do you feel like the team has gone now up to that echelon of like are they under the Boston's are they in the same talk of the 76ers and things like that or are they at least up a, a next step at least I think realistically <clears throat> they could be competing for a top four seed by season's end because let's be frank, before Ricky Rubio went down, this Cavs team was flirting with the best record in the Eastern Conference last year. Now, granted, you you can't repeat success. It's always going to be different. There's going to be variations and everything else in between. But with this Donovan Mitchell acquisition, I think it's pretty clear now. And it became clear with the MO this offseason is we have our core guys. They extended Jared Allen last offseason. They signed Darius Carlin to a Ricky Max scale extension this offseason. They bring in Halu Neto, Ricky Rubio, and Robin Lopez just to kind of be, be higher quality depth behind key players. But they were then staring down the gun of Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert kind of being like your answer at the two guard spot maybe Isaac Okoro as well it's a little tricky to really say okay uh, is this enough to kind of take pressure off Darius Garland or do we need to do more and like I said if Mitchell becomes available it changes the trajectory of things a lot and I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're in that same echelon as Boston because the Celtics were an incredible team on both ends of the floor last season and they very well could be a consistent finals threat because they finally got a taste of it and were pretty close to winning a championship last year. Milwaukee is still a very good squad. Philadelphia, people have questions about them, but I think, you know, James Harden and Joel Embiid, if they're fully healthy, um, they're going to be a very good squad as well. You have a team like Miami who is older, and I think the Cavs kind of might be in the mix of them a little bit for that four or five spot right there. And then you also have a team like Brooklyn who is incredibly volatile, but is still going to be a wild card because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And 
they also have Royce O'Neal and TJ Warren and so many like just they the, the Nets did a lot of good things this offseason. So like I think at this point, Cleveland is more so facing the reality of being a playing team again, possibly like a lower seed in the Eastern Conference and battling with the likes of like Chicago, Toronto, Charlotte, New York, um, possibly even Brooklyn or even Atlanta as well, who I forgot to mention is a team who leveled up this offseason too. I just think the Cavs realistically looked at the Eastern Conference and said, okay, a lot of teams in our conference, especially the ones at the top, have gotten better or are just better than us flat out and we need to make a move in order to get to that point so to answer your question i don't think they're necessarily in that upper echelon where it's championship or bust next season because this is a Cavs team i mean other than donovan mitchell and jared allen and kevin love like that has no real realistic playoff experience and ricky rubio as well too but he won't be available till january or february of next year but i i think yeah they could have a shot at it it's just depends on how things break and i think there's going to be a lot of growing pains for this Cavs team to start the season and they're going to kind of have to learn how to coexist with donovan mitchell right now because they had a good thing last year but you're adding an all-star to the fold so we'll see how it goes and maybe it's not this year they're really flirting with it but depending on what they do next offseason that could be more realistic but i also wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs end up being one of the top teams in the east but the playoffs are a different monster altogether yeah, I didn't realize you guys had Neto on your team now. So now you got like a trio of former jazz players on your team. That's kind of cool. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about it from the jazz side of here. Now, help me understand these three players that we've got in the trade now. Sure thing. Um, so obviously the rookie there, there's not, you haven't seen so much of him. He would just played some summer league. What can you tell us maybe from what you saw from him in summer league and what we can hopefully see grow from him? I think Ochai Abaji is, he, he comes from, he has a winning pedigree to him. I think his time with Kansas certainly uh, showcased that he was the best player on a national championship squad last season. He um, is an older rookie. Obviously he was a senior coming out of college. So like Kobe Altman, the president of basketball operations said like he's more of an NBA ready product and still has some room to grow and develop. But I think, from what I saw in summer league, what you're really going to get out of him, his rookie season at least, is just that three and D potential that you see with him. Um, he shot a lot of three pointers. Maybe he didn't make them at a reliable clip, but I think the biggest thing for me with that is he was encouraged enough to continue taking threes even when he wasn't making them and he wasn't letting it get in his head so much. And he also showed some playmaking chops too, which was kind of interesting. He's not going to be a primary ball handler by any stretch, but he could be like one of those secondary creators for you or a guy who can kind of just keep the ball moving and isn't a ball stopper. But with him a lot, you, you'll you see a lot of probably off-ball play. Um, he'll probably be playing a lot of, pro, like maybe heavy, not heavy, heavy perimeter defense, but he has the potential to be a player who could be a point of attack defender. I remember asking JB Bickerstaff after they drafted him, like the, the perimeter defensive potential between him and Isaac Okoro and even Evan Mobley. And he just like smiled and looked at me like, yeah, it, it could be pretty good. But I, I think if you're a Baji, you were coming into Cleveland and you may not play often in your rookie season. You might end up in the G league getting some burn as well. And he could be a player that could be the back end of the rotation. And now that he goes to Utah, he has a lot less pressure because there's not going to be like the overwhelming expectation of making the playoffs. And yes, he is an older rookie who is more NBA ready, but I think he can maybe learn and grow his game a lot more comfortably versus the situation where Cleveland in Cleveland, where they're probably going to ask him to do two to three things and then just zero in on that. Cause that's, what's going to help the team win versus giving him that, 
time to learn from his mistakes and maybe kind of try some new stuff on the floor because the coaching staff wants to work through things with him. So I think he's an intriguing player. I think people were kind of down on him a little too much for the fact that he's an older rookie because, again, he has a winning pedigree to him. And I think there is something about him where like he has some upside, but he's still pretty NBA-ready coming into his rookie campaign. Yeah, I must say there is a lot of Jazz fans excited to see what he's bringing to the team. And then um, he he actually does have a college teammate that's already here with the Jazz in, in Azubuki. So that'll be good for those two to kind of reunite here in Salt Lake. Um, let's move forward now to Laurie Markkinen. Um, he's playing right now in Eurobasket and, you know, he's doing pretty good over there. Yeah. Um, I got to say he's hyping me up a lot more than I was expecting. What should we expect from him coming into this season, would you say? So the impression I was given by just folks around the jazz was that they do view Laurie as kind of like a key piece for them going forward where let's be frank, there's always going to be some type of intrigue with a guy who's seven feet tall and is able to hit three pointers like that. That's a white whale for a lot of NBA executives and the jazz are no, and the Cavs as well. And the bulls who, when they drafted him were no exception to this, but with marketing, I think his time in Chicago towards the end kind of damaged his reputation a lot. And then when he came to Cleveland, you saw the defensive concerns with him, but you also saw the fact that he was weirdly a key component to them playing a three big lineup with Barkin at the three and Mobley at the four and Allen at the five. And when he goes to Utah, I think he'd probably would play more of the four. Maybe he plays some three and five as well, too. Uh, his, his pain protection is non-existent. So <laughs> it's a little tricky there to do that. But what you're getting is a seven footer who can hit threes on a pretty reliable clip. He has a lot of, maybe he's a little bit of playmaking chops, something he got to showcase a little bit with the Cavs or he was able to act as a player at the high post and just kind of initiate the offense for cutters and people floating on the perimeter. And if anything, he's also just a big body who can crash the glass and kind of limit second chance opportunities, which is something he kind of really excelled with, with having to share the floor with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. All right. And now the final piece for the jazz here, the man that they have signed, or I guess going to sign to a four year extension or sign and trade, that'd be Colin Sexton. Um, he's coming off an injury. Remind me, what was the injury that he had again? So 11 games in the last season, he had a pretty serious meniscal tear and he had a research. He had a surgery, had a full recovery. He rehabbed back in Atlanta so he could be around his family. Um, and then slowly started coming back around the Cavs when he was still on crutches. And then eventually we went off those and, it's been a it's been a grind for Colin to get back to the floor, but yeah, he tore his meniscus uh, eleven games into the season last year. So let's just maybe rewind before the injury. What was the thought as a Cavs fan, Cavs reporter around him before that injury? Was there a lot of expectations for him? Was he living up to it? Did you feel like he could be a next great point of guard for the Cavs, or I don't know what was he supposed to be for the Cavs? So when he was first drafted out of Alabama, he was drafted as a just a, a scoring guard. I think eventually once they drafted Darius Garland, they started him at the two. They tried to replicate something that was similar to what the Portland Trailblazers were trying, maybe the Jazz to an extent with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. Um, there's a lot of interesting things like they tried to do, but with, with Colin, if you boil him down at the end of the day, he is an elite three level scorer where he has a very pretty shooting mechanic and he's also able to get to the line more often than not. But where he really thrives is getting buckets at the rim and also in the mid range. And like I said, if he does need to step out to the perimeter, he can be a reliable three point shooter, but he's just not a guy who will take 
five to six to seven to eight three pointers on a night to night basis. It's going to be three to four tops. And that's just kind of how he's wired. Um, there are some obvious concerns just with his defensive ability. He does have a longer wingspan, but being six one and having to play the two guard spot does kind of leave you open to getting shredded at times, especially when the Cavs were going through this rebuild and Garland isn't a good perimeter defender and Isaac Okoro is still learning his game. So Sexton kind of got put on an island, got picked apart and pick and rolls and just from guys who were driving to the basket in general or cutting to the basket. And there's just obviously concerns with his fit in Cleveland. Like, is he a six man? Is he a starter? And that's just always was the question about him. And there's always the question with Cleveland is how would he look on a winning team? Because I'm not sure if you guys have heard this or if jazz fans have heard this, but Cavs fans like to compare him to Donovan Mitchell, where if you took Colin Sexton and dropped him in Donovan's situation, you get similar production. And I, I, for full disclosure, hardcore agree with that sentiment sentiment, because if you look at the numbers, like the true shooting percentages, yes, Colin and Donovan have similar numbers, but again, the way they get their buckets are just pretty different for the most part. Like Donovan likes to take threes quite a lot more than Colin does, but Collins, the one of the big concerns was how does he fit on a winning team? And that was the opportunity really lost in last year's injury was the Cavs really went on a run after he went down. They were a win away from making the playoffs after losing two games in the play-in tournament. And now there's, there's a lot of questions. There's just that. There's the knee injury. There's just so many things about him that rightfully makes you concerned. But like you asked before the injury, he is 24 points per game on at three different levels. He's a pretty good three-point shooter, even though he doesn't take them enough. Um, he's a really great free-throw shooter because he uses his physicality and athleticism and speed. He gets the line pretty often. And there's playmaking concerns. There's defensive concerns. I and mean, he's just a smaller shooting guard. But just the way how positionless the NBA is at this point, like I wouldn't necessarily peg him as a one or a two. He's just a guard who has an acumen for scoring. So with the Jazz right now and their roster, um, obviously we don't expect Mike Conley or a Jordan Clarkson or a boy on to still be on the roster. So with that said, the team's definitely going to be – we're obviously not looking to win or make the playoffs or anything like that. Fans realistically aren't expecting that. But still, we kind of would like someone on that team to be our leader. So in saying that, do you think Colin can show up and possibly take over that leader role? Is that something he might be able to fit into? Yeah, absolutely. When – so Colin was tapped pretty, I think either in his second or third year in the league, he was tapped by Kobe Altman as like the, and JV Bickerstaff as like the cultural leader of the Cavs where he kind of helped build that culture of accountability or guys just busting their butt in practice and just really showing and maximizing every opportunity for him where Colin is a great kid. Um, I think his play style could frustrate some of his teammates on the floor, but like he's always polite, always kind, always professional with the media. He's super soft-spoken. I think if you had to boil him down as a person, he, uh, I, I remember when we had Larry Nance Jr. on my show and we were talking about the pandemic and who misses basketball the most. He's like, oh, Colin Sexton, without a doubt. Like Colin Sexton lives, breathes, and eats basketball. And I think there's something infectious about that attitude where a guy who's willing to go to war every single night, like he, he gets up for a team like the Pistons or he gets up for a team like the Celtics is my example, like the, the worst and the best in the, the league has to offer. And like, he still gets up nevertheless and he comes ready to play and he comes ready to fight. And maybe he doesn't result in a win, but he, you, you know, you're going to get maximum effort from Colin Sexton every night. And if you're a young team, that's a good thing to have, especially for one of your younger guards who you're hoping to keep around long-term because he can kind of help set those cultural 
building blocks and then really build momentum towards the Cavs or no, sorry, not the Cavs, the Jazz uh, becoming like a, a pretty healthy and conducive unit for a long time in the Western Conference. And my final question about these three guys is kind of, you kind of started answering it there, but off the court, um, what was their respect in the local community there? Were they pretty heavy on doing local community work and things like that? Things like that are kind of a big thing that jazz fans here in the local community really love to see players do. So anything like that you can give us. So it's tough for Ochai Abaji just because he was technically a Cavalier for only like a couple months. So I, right. I can't really say much of his community impact. And Larry Markkinen was here for a year, and I don't think a lot of it made headlines. I think he did give money to some schools during All-Star Weekend. I know he <clears> – <throat> I, I learned this from doing a feature on him last year that he's really, really into disc golf. Like, he's really into it. Like, he is friends with, like, a lot of pros overseas, and, like, he tries to get his teammates involved in it. And, like, I think if he had more time in Cleveland, because he shared with me, he's just like, if I had more time, I would explore the community more. But he's like, I have – a wife, two kids. We're trying to move Chicago to Cleveland. And funnily enough, Lars is the type of guy where he'd rather just move himself than pay a moving company because the interview happened on a U-Haul of all things where we were talking and it was the, the noise quality was just superb. But um, he's a good guy. I think if he had more time in Cleveland, he would invest it more in the community. But like the, the city gave him a ton of love and he gave it all back because he felt like he was part of something that where he could finally be himself. And I think that's key. But with Colin, he's with Cleveland for several years. He um, <clears throat> gave a lot of money back to local school districts. He gave a lot of money back to big brother, big sister. He was really involved in that. He, I ran a feature with him where he invested in like a local company that like makes uh, high end leather goods, obviously, but it's a local company nonetheless. And that's what his biggest selling point was is, I'm a young multimillionaire. I'm going to obviously maximize my potential earnings and everything else. But he's just like, I like fashion and I like doing things like this, but I wanted to make sure it was a local Cleveland company because it was during the midst of the pandemic. And he's just like, I have all this money and they're struggling to stay afloat. And if I give them an investment and they're just willing to put my name on a bag and maybe make a line for me, that's great. But he's like, what matters more is just giving back to the community and supporting businesses in many different ways and the same goes for just working with kids as well like the Cavs in the community is just a big event in general like during all-star i think colin was a part of this too um uh local cleveland metropolitan school district they do a bag of books where kids will like pick up different books and stuff and put them in a bag and they can take them home for free um colin sat there and like talked to kids and like read books with them and just chatted with them and like connected with them and I've asked him this in the past and he's just like, listen, the fans show me so much love and it's so cool. And he's like, I can give him just an ounce of it back. And I know I'm making a difference in one kid's day. That's, that's what it's worth it for me. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. I love to hear that. Um, well, I guess now we can change the subject over to your guys' new all-star, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I don't know. Do you have any questions on what you're getting in that guy you wanted to ask me by chance? Well, let me ask you, just at the top, just how, how, what was your reaction to the trade? Like, what was it? I like, I, I interact with some jazz folks, especially just in the writing sphere and the journalism sphere. Like I, I work for David Locke himself uh, at locked on. So he couldn't publicly share his thoughts with me until after the trade is formally announced. And he's just been so busy that I think he's still processing it a little bit, but what was the reaction for you and just jazz fans in general when the trade went down? Like, were you surprised that it actually happened? So 
surprised a trade happened? No, but surprised it went to Cleveland a hundred percent. And the fact that I believe what it had been three days earlier, four days earlier, they're like, Oh, Cleveland has withdrawn. And I remember when I saw that, I was like, Cleveland, they were really serious into this that I didn't think I always thought that it was actually going to be, um, and you had mentioned earlier, Charlotte was going to be kind of the dark horse to come in and possibly mm-hmm. get them. And apparently after everything, they were pretty close on it too. So um, that was probably for the best. That didn't happen because if Gordon Hayward had come back here, I think it would have been even worse of a disaster than it is now with the fans. But um, honestly, as far as a, I said this a couple times on our podcast, just Donovan as like not even a player, but just as a human being, I kind of wanted the trade to get over with sooner than later, just because I felt bad just like kind of him being, you could just kind of get the vibe from him on social media. Like all summer, he hadn't really posted as much as he usually did. He was pretty quiet about things, you know, obviously his, he was being a good player. And the fact that he wasn't out there saying, yeah, I want to get traded here and all that. But I think the moment that trade happened, and I'm sure you noticed that he was all, he was, he was right back on social media, posting about Cleveland, this showing photos of him in a Cleveland Jersey when he was youngster and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think, I think you guys are getting joyful, happy Donovan, which is honestly, I feel like here with the jazz, that part of Donovan is kind of gone away since the bubble loss. I would say the last year or two, he's just been kind of going with the flow, which has kind of been unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm honestly happy for him to, and as crazy as it sounds, I'm happy because if he had gone to New York, I can only imagine the pressure he would probably be under, not only just because it's New York, big city market, but it, like his home team, that that kind of pressure could probably make you go crazy. So all in all, I'm happy for him on that. And it's another small market team. So good for him mm-hmm. on that to hopefully make another big market team go to the next level. Well, no, that's, that's, that. I'm, I'm glad you, <clears throat> well, it's unfortunate you guys have to say goodbye to a franchise great like that because Cavs fans can empathize a little bit just because they've seen LeBron go twice, uh, first time not on great terms, second time on much better terms. And then the Kyrie fiasco as well. But it is interesting to me to see Cleveland make a move like this because, like I said at the top, if you believe in your heart of hearts, this is the guy who can really push you over the edge and kind of take you to that next level. Um, that's where you really have to go for it. And that that's kind of where I'm going to lead with my next question is what do you see Donovan giving to the Cavs that maybe they didn't have prior to this trade? I mean, obviously we talked, I've mentioned the three point shooting several times, but there's, there's, there are parts of his game that maybe like a casual observer of jazz basketball on a night to night basis, basically when they're playing Cleveland or when they're on national TV or just anyone in general who maybe just isn't fully familiar with Donovan's game. So I'll start with what he definitely needs to improve on after, especially these, like I said, these last two years haven't been, I feel like his ultimate best that he would be his defense. Um, he really could try harder on his defense. And I don't know, you know, here in Utah, people that really dug into it, especially this last year, it seems like there had been a lot of issues going on behind the scenes with players, maybe not so getting along anymore. And I don't know if the coaching staff was just kind of over it and whatnot. So there was a whole, there's a whole possible behind the scenes that, Apparently, as some of the local beat writers say, they might eventually let all the news out on. But mm-hmm. um, his defense could really, if his defense could go up just a so much, little bit more, he would probably be like a top, you know, in that tier of like all NBA players. I mean, he's right now he's always on the border of it. It seems like and things like that. But mm-hmm. if he could make his defense just that much better. I think he's there. 
Um, but he brings the intensity. I mean, when he came in as a rookie, he was so just fired up. I mean, he was dunking like crazy. He got people, the crowd so into it and stuff like that. And it felt like those first two, three years we had that. And I, I mean, I honestly feel like he's probably going to bring that back now when he's with the Cleveland, because it's almost like probably going to feel like being a rookie again for him, a whole new team, learning new players. Um, so I think that's definitely something he's going to bring. And the thing that you guys are really going to love about him that I kind of mentioned earlier, asking about off the court stuff. I mean, his off the court thing is just amazing. You know, every game he loves to give out his shoes to the fans. He loves to find kids and give the shoes and just make their days. So, um, yeah, he's just all around great person and things like that. But the intensity is definitely going to be something I think cast fans are going to love about him. Yeah. That's something I definitely noticed just from watching him from afar and just being a guy who, is a fan of Donovan Mitchell just as a player and like the person aspect, like that's something I'm a fan of too. Like that's stuff, that's stuff you like to hear, especially as you said, this is a smaller market team. Like, and this is a very Cleveland Brown centric town. So if you're the Cavs, sometimes you have to compete for attention in the grand scheme of the Cleveland sports scale. So having guys that are just good guys, the community definitely is a good thing too. And you touched on it a little bit, but defensively there are concerns with him and Darius Garland playing together, much like there were with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland playing together. And JB Bickerstaff is a defense first coach and the starting three spot is still up in the air. But a lot of people did note that despite Donovan having those defensive issues at times, having Rudy Gobert as a guy who can just defend the rim and be arguably the greatest rim protector of all time, certainly covered for a lot of his defensive issues and obviously putting Mike Conley next to him helped a lot too. And just a lot of pieces to make him fit. Do you see something similar? Let's just say for now, I think it's safe to assume Evan Mobley and Jared Allen started the four and five for Cleveland this year. Do you think you could get something similar to what you got in Utah? Obviously you can't fully imitate what Rudy Gobert gave you, but there, there is clearly something there because the Cavs were one of the top paint defense teams last season. So I think I think Donovan's probably going to be super excited to play with these younger guys. And as crazy as it's going to sound, he's probably going to love to be able to play as dudes that he can fully communicate with and have a connection with. I think with him and Rudy, there was always that kind of, obviously the language barrier and Rudy, obviously he speaks English, but not as good as the players on the Cavs. So I think as crazy as that might sound, I think that it's going to be easier for him to connect to those guys. And maybe that will help him on the defensive side when he's trying to say, Cause I can remember plenty of times when players would get by him and he thought Rudy was going to be there to help him. And Rudy just wasn't there because he didn't know what was going on, I guess. And they would occasionally, you know, have us yell at each other there. But um, yeah, I think I honestly, my gut feeling says that he's going to vibe a lot better and easier and quicker probably with what you guys have going on in Cleveland right now. Now it's not going to be the, probably the exact yeah. same as Rudy Gobert there, ready oh, yeah. back in the rim for him. But I just think the the vibe and the connection is going to be much more smoother for them. No, I I think so too. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains as well, just because this isn't just like a role player that the Cavs traded for, who clearly has a pecking order in this offensive dichotomy between Garland, Mobley, and Allen. Like this is an all this is a three time All Star. Like you said, a guy who has is a on the cusp of being an all NBA player, a guy who performs really well, especially in the playoffs, especially on the biggest stage under the brightest lights. Like there's going to be a lot of growing pains and figuring out who gets the ball in certain situations, who closes certain situations, who 
it just initiates the offense between him and Darius. Like, how do you get touches between him, Darius, Evan, and Jarrett? Like, do you do you see concerns with that, or do you agree with me that there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment? Because I think about like LeBron's first time back in Cleveland, or him playing with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade in Miami. Like, there's going to be growing pains, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Because again. I'm just a casual Donovan Mitchell observer. So do you think maybe I'm just overblowing this a little bit, or do you think there's going to be maybe a bit of an adjustment for the Cavs with him? So this is probably where my fandom just comes in in the fact that I've honestly not thought that much of the whole situation. Cause like as, as crazy as it sounds it's like once the trade happened and I was like, good for Donovan, I haven't thought much more of it. Just like, okay, yeah. good luck, good luck. Good luck. See you later. And then I start trying to focus in on our new players. So um, I really haven't thought too much of it. I just thought how I do think it's going to be a better fit for him at this point of his career. Um, just like I said, I just felt like the the vibe between him and Rudy was just so done. Like this past year, just you could tell they were just so over each other. And um, even after Rudy got traded, I don't. I remember they said that oh we're going to build around Donovan. Even when they stack came out, I was like, eh, I don't know if you're going to. And like, is he really going to want to stick around for this? minor rebuild or whatever the hell we're about to do uh-huh. i don't know um yeah i mean i i all i can do is kind of repeat myself i think you guys are just going to get a donovan that's almost going to be excited like he was when he showed up in the nba as a rookie and he's going to be just excited again there and probably excited to learn a whole new playbook and whatever he's got to do uh, the other thing that's really i i think donovan's going to bring is that he, he doesn't really give a crap about how many points he's got to get and stuff like that he really does care about getting the w so if that means one game he scores a lot, the next game he doesn't, but he has more assists, steals, whatever he's got to do. He's even a great rebounder for his size. He'll, he'll get up there and grab for a board. So um, I don't think you guys are really going to have to worry about him being a selfish player or even worrying about getting his own at times. No, that that's that's great to hear. And I think that's all I really need to hear right now when it comes to what Donovan's fit is. I think after watching so many Cavs teams fall apart in spectacular fashion, like the, the cynic in me comes out, but I think this is just a good vibe trade for the Cavs. And like you said, he's probably excited to be in a new situation with a younger team that can kind of support him in maybe ways that he didn't have in Utah. And he's going to find new things about his game about, and probably find things he missed in Utah. But yeah, no, like every Cavs fan who's checking out this show, like they're going to be pretty reassured. Maybe they had concerns about the fit or just the, the price they're paying. But like I, like I said, I and I'm sure you probably agree with me. Like if there's a price you have to pay for a guy of that caliber, like you have to pay it because in the end, it'll ultimately end up being worth it. The the only the other thing I'll share on the Donovan thing is you guys just got to pick up the uh, the haul now that he's got his, he's got his new shoes coming out. The Don issue fours are getting ready to drop in in October. So us jazz fans have been carrying them along now for three shoes. So it's your guys' turn to pick that up and start buying them. So good luck with that. I mean, Ricky Rubio already said like the Don issue four will be in Cavs colorways. So I think, well, him I think and the Ricky first ones are already them. red. So you guys are on it. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I just, to wrap up this up, I just wanted to get you as an outsider kind of point of view. What do you think of what the jazz are doing at this point? You know, obviously we're full rebuild rebuild. Um, we're not tanking cause that's not a thing anymore. Wink, wink. But you know, from the outside, are you, do you understand what the jazz are doing? Do you think it's a smart move or do we look foolish to you? 
So I've, I'm of a few mentalities because this is certainly a path the Thunder are taking right now where they have more picks than God himself. And that's certainly what the Jazz have now after the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell halls. But that's also just the nature and the reality of the situation when you are a non-glamour market like Utah, like Oklahoma City, or even Cleveland who had to rebuild through the draft. And the Jazz haven't really had a full-scale teardown in quite a while. Like they They had some lackluster years towards the end with Gordon Hayward. And then they started back with the Donovan Mitchell. Then Rudy Gobert came along and then they became a force in the West again. And like, they've been consistently good for so long that maybe resetting things fully will be the right way to go about it. And having young players like Markin and Sexton, Abaji, um, Taylor Horton Tucker as well. And eventually what you'll get for Mike Conley and Bogdanovich and, um Jordan Clarkson as well like those are guys that are legitimate trade chips for the Jazz too like this is still a teardown that's in progress but like for what you guys have gotten from your two franchise cornerstones like not a bad return I'd say not at all and I think this is a good way to kind of go about things because if you look at how the Thunder are building things yeah they're they're shamelessly losing not tanking that it's just unfortunate situations with health um, with Shea Gilchrist Alexander last year but you can maximize your return build through the draft, build high quality packages and assets. And I think having Danny Ainge running the show at the top of things and also just the overall front office, the jazz have assembled, like they're aggressive enough when they need to be, but they're also patient enough when they're not going to actually overreact to a situation or kind of strike when they don't have to. And I think that, that that's a tough tightrope walk to walk and it's a tough balance to kind of find, but I think the jazz just being a historically stable organization helps a lot in this case. And hey, if you're able to get Victor Wembanyama, and you're also able to pick up a couple other high quality rookies in this upcoming draft, draft class and draft classes to come, like the Jazz could be in a very good place in a few years. And also, you don't have to pick all those rookies with those picks either. So let's say you are able to pick at the top end of the draft and kind of build something similar to what Cleveland's doing as this example. You can then consolidate some of those assets towards the end and maybe maximize your potential and go find your Donovan Mitchell to accentuate the young trio or quartet or anything in between that you've assembled if you're Utah. Like I got to keep telling all the people are freaking out right now. You know, our last two uh, major guys were not lottery picks. You know, we got Donovan in the mid there part and Rudy was late 20 picks or something like that. And thanks to the nuggets for both of those guys. So uh, anything's possible with the draft next year for the jazz. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be a rough year this year, but Hey, we have our new, Oh, I, I here's what my last question will be for you. Shoot. Have you seen the new Jazz jerseys? And if so, what are your thoughts oh, on them? I was going to avoid saying this, but they are um, striking. I'll say that. Um, Would you say they're the worst in the league right now? I need to see them on the court to fully give that opinion because I think Cleveland's uniforms are incredibly plain, but they've grown on me quite a bit since I've gotten to look at them more. But the combination of white, black, and highlighter yellow is certainly a, a decision um i think those are colors that work together in theory maybe and in silver as well that's an accent color the jazz are using but i'm a huge fan of the purple mountain jerseys i think you guys having such a rich history with that jersey and just kind of keeping those in the rotation was smart and if it were me i would have leaned further into that look but I think they're striking to say the least. Um, it, it made sense, especially after the all-star logos were revealed that maybe the jazz are changing their colors to that. 
and also just like with all the branding and everything else just that the jazz have done over the last year so we'll see where it goes but i need to see it on the court but i wasn't a huge fan when they first came out but there's always room for improvement i say like and the jazz also have a pretty good uniform history so maybe they draw inspiration from that next time they do a little bit of a refresh yeah it's it's funny here i mean we here in the local guys we knew it was kind of coming just because the the last year or two in this the arena it's been all black and yellow so we just knew it was coming um but yeah those uh jerseys i think this might be the year where we have the worst jersey sales of all time but yeah those mountain jerseys are beautiful and it's funny because anytime the jazz team store promotes things it's pretty much all about the mountain stuff <laughs> they, don't, they don't seem to promote the other stuff too heavy so uh it's kind of funny and a good joke around here. Well, I do appreciate your time. Before you get out of here, why don't you go ahead and get in your plugs? Let everyone know where they can find you. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. And to your point, um, nostalgia is poetic if you're the jazz. I think Don Draper said that. So it's a good way to sell jerseys at the end of the day. It's a, that's, a, that's basically the Cleveland economy in terms of sports memorabilia. But you can find me on Twitter at amnotevan. That's also just all my social media handles. If you want to take a gander at my Instagram as well, it's just where I post pictures of my day-to-day life. Um, you can find me right now three days a week usually, but this Donovan Mitchell trade has really made us amp up our production at Locked on Cavs, um, where we do that three to five times a week. Uh, five times is more so during the regular season, but we're on YouTube, so just check us out on YouTube. You can watch us on there, but you can also listen to us anywhere you find your podcast as well. And yeah, subscribe to me on Meta Bulletins Write Down Euclid if you want to keep up on Don and what he's up to in Cleveland and just what the Cavs maybe are up to in general. And you guys were really going to like Colin, Lowry, and Ochai. That's what I'm really going to say at the end of this. Like, you guys got a pretty young group, good young group to kind of build around. And now the future looks pretty bright in Utah, especially with all those picks coming down the pipeline. Very bright indeed. Bright as our jerseys. All right. Thanks so much <laughs> for your time, Evan. I do appreciate it. And best of luck with Don. Thank you.